If uh, you all have your, your Bibles this morning, we are going to be in, in Psalm 34. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles on the back table. Um, if you do need one, uh, feel free to, to grab one and use that um, this morning. But as you uh, all are turning there uh, this morning in the bulletin, the sermon title for this is Taste and See and comes directly from uh, the psalm itself where the heading is Taste and See that the Lord is good. Um, and this is a psalm of David. And uh, to give you a little background information uh, in, in trying to figure out what I wanted to preach on this morning, um, one of the, the nice things for uh, preaching for Pastor Jacob and I love about him is that we take a book of the Bible and we go through it. Um, and we get to see the continuity of Scripture. We get to look at how other verses elsewhere in Scripture impact the, the verses that we're looking at. But it, it's systematic and that we continue on. And so I always find it a little more difficult to just preach once uh, every few months and in between and, and decide, you know, Lord, what, what would you have me say? And so um, coming to, to this psalm um, was actually be, because of uh, reading the, the scriptures with my daughter. Um, so in one of uh, pastor's sermons uh, a while back talking about reading scripture, um, my heart was convicted, you know, we should do some more with Camille, even though she's she's two, two and a half, um, she's still able to understand, and it's good to instill those things in her life at a young age. So we decided we would take a, a psalm, a night, some of the longer ones we split up into a couple of nights. Um, she, she doesn't last for all of them. Um, sometimes she complains, sometimes she cries, sometimes she just goes into another area of the room uh, to try to get away from us. Um, and, and sometimes she sits there quite contently, um, and sometimes she says she wants to read even though she doesn't know how to yet. Um, but we were reading this Psalm uh, 34 uh, the other night a few nights ago, and, and it struck me as something that would be um, beneficial to, to look more in depth in, and not just for this sermon this morning, but also in, in my own life to see the words of, that David has penned here and how it impacts our life. It also goes into part of uh, the new year. New year, we make what? Resolutions. We resolve that we're going to try to work some things out. Um, and uh, earlier on uh, Facebook, I read one of these things. New year's resolutions. Things I make up with no legal recourse and not following through on them. So not, not being bound to them to say, oh, we have to do these, but... It's quite comical how many people are in the gym in the beginning of the new year and how many fade away after um, a few weeks, a few months. But one of the good things in our lives is, is to resolve to serve God, to, to uh, devote our lives more to Him. Um, and so looking back over the past year and, and all that has inspired and looking forward to what I want to happen in 2017 and making plans, this psalm, this, this passage here stands out as an encouragement to me, but also um, he gives us instructions in, in how to live our lives. And it's a good marker um, for us, for, for myself. It's a good reminder of basic things in the Christian life to, to do and work towards, and also in instilling these things in my children as they grow up and become um, to know who Christ is. And hopefully that's through the interaction with myself and, and my wife um, as they see us honor God. Hopefully it instills in them that they want to honor God as well as they see who he is and what he's doing in our lives. So Bob read in the beginning those first three verses in Psalm 34, and we're going to look at them again this morning. I pray that we'd keep these at the forefront of our minds, that in 2017, no matter what comes about, no matter what comes our way, good or bad, that these would be a reminder to us, that these words would come back to our minds. Psalm 34, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. If you know the life of, of David, his life has been one of, of many blessings and also many tragedies as he's 
um, been very close to God and also very far away from God at the same time, and yet he's still called the man after God's own heart. And so this is David writing this psalm actually as he is fleeing from Saul. Uh, Saul. It's during the time, it's after the time where David has been anointed by the high priest. All right, He has come to the house of Jesse and asked Jesse to bring all of his sons before him. And remember, David's the one who's still out tending the sheep. He's out in the fields. And the, the high priest goes through all the sons and he says, is this all your sons? And he says, no. David's out in the fields and he says, call him back. And David is anointed king. And yet we still know that, that Saul, the people's choice, he is still ruler. He is still king. And this upsets him very much. And so there is at a point where David is trusted by Saul, and then there's a point um, in, in their lives where Saul tries to murder David. He wants to destroy him. He wants to kill him. He wants to make sure that he cannot take his throne over, even though it has been God's decree. And so this is a psalm by David during that time out on the run. And his words are, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. As you think about that, as you think he's fleeing, he's worried about his life. He's worried about his parents' lives, his family's lives. Um, if you were to go back into 1 Samuel and look at what is transpiring, you would see all of these things that he is dealing with in fleeing from Saul. And yet he pens these words. And he says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Another man in the New Testament had much the same words to say, um, just in a different way, as you think of the life of Paul, who was formerly Saul, um, who was changed by God in a miraculous way, who was blinded uh, on the road to Damascus and comes before, and he, his heart is finally softened to the point where he once persecuted Christians, and now he's at the forefront wanting to make him known to all people, to all nations. And so Paul, in his life, and the many difficulties that he has had, he tells the Philippians in 4, chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, many of us know 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But he has this to say before that. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And he's been in a lot of difficult situations. He's been in prison. He's been um, beaten. He's been battered. He's been shipwrecked. He's had many different things happen to him. And he says, in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Much like David's life and, and Paul's life in the New Testament, we see these two biblical characters who have very similar histories in, in, in that whatever comes their way, they can still say, Lord, I praise you. I give you thanks. I give you glory. I give you honor. I give you all that, it, that is in me because you have shown yourself to be true and to be honest, to be above all. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. In uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, in, where David says here, he makes his boast in the Lord. Jeremiah says this, he says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Jeremiah is, is written to the Israelites after uh, David is gone. But the principle is the same. David already knew this principle. I don't boast in what I have. I don't boast in in what uh, my abilities are, what my talents are, what my wisdom is. Even at a young age, he knew that. He, his boast is always in the Lord, much the same way that Paul says it to the Corinthians. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. It's not the one who says, hey, look at me. I'm, look at what I'm good at. But it's the one whom the Lord commends. It's the one whom the Lord approves of. Much the same way of looking at the life of King David versus King Saul. King Saul went away from the Lord and did his own thing. He was not commended by God. And yet then you have this little shepherd boy who is lifted up by God, raised up to be king, not because of his outward appearance, not because of what his abilities were, even though he was the one that slayed Goliath, the Philistine. But all that was done because of what? Because of his heart, because of what was inside of him, because of how God had had changed him. And this is seen all too much in the next few verses as you we look at 4 through 7. It's the evidence of what is going on in his life. He says, Those, sorry, I sought the Lord and he answered me, verse 4, and delivered me from all my fears. These, this ne- next subset of, of, of verses is him specifically talking about his situation in running from Saul. It says, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. As I said, David's on the run. He is running from Saul. In the the heading, if uh, your Bible has it in the beginning, it says, Psalm 34, of David, when he changed his behavior before Imbibelech so that he drove him out and he went away. And that's specifically referenced from 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 15. And it's the story where, where David, he, he runs away from Saul, and he goes to the land of Gath. And he goes to the king of Achish. And he comes before the king, and he's, he's, he's just looking to be among the people, kind of... Um, Incognito. He doesn't want to be recognized. He doesn't. He just wants to, to blend into the crowd. He just wants to hide away. Wants to make sure that that Saul can't find him. That he doesn't want to come into Philistine territory and follow after him. And yet, what happens when when David gets there? The, the scriptures in First Samuel says that people recognize him. They say, "Isn't isn't this the man that they sing songs about? That Saul killed his thousands, but David." Killed his ten thousands. And so David became very afraid where he was once sealing uh, asylum from Saul. He now sees that maybe this isn't such a friendly place to be in because he has killed a lot of Philistines. He has killed a lot of people in battle for Saul. Um, He is a mighty man. And yet here he is um, in need of help. And so... The scripture says that he pretty much acted insane. All right, he 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 acted crazy. He was drooling from his mouth as he was brought before King Achish. And what happened to him? Well, the king said, "Why are you why are you bringing me this man? Have I I already have enough madman in my kingdom? Don't bring another one before me to serve in my kingdom. Get her out of here." And so David was delivered from that situation where he was in fear for his life of being recognized. Now he pretends to be insane, to be crazy, and so they cast him out. And David is, is, is penning Psalm 34 here and looking back on that, and he's recognizing that it's not his own wisdom that got him out of this. It's not his, his, his mental acumen in saying, hey, let's, let's act crazy, maybe, maybe that'll happen. But he's attributing this to God's divine intervention in his life because he says this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles the language that is used throughout this psalm is specific and that it contrasts those who are proud those who feel that they are above other people and and it uh, contrasts that with those that are humble that those that realize who they are um, and more importantly, not just who they are, but whose they are, who they belong to. Much like David says in the beginning, he says, let the humble hear and be glad. Why? Because the proud don't want to hear this. 
the proud wouldn't bend the knee to this to say, even in his own situation, they'd, they'd boast, ha, look how I got away from King Achish. I pretended that I was crazy, and I got out of there. Am I not awesome? Am I not, you know, who else would have thought of that? Hey, let's pretend like, like uh, there's something wrong with me, and he'll throw me out, as, as he boasts to his men um, that are with him. Because he, he gains about 600 men with him as a following um, that are running with him. He can be boasting. He can be, you know, as they're eating together or drinking together, whatever they're doing. But that's not who he is. That's not who he is at his heart. He understands that this is God who has saved me. This is God who has brought me out of the pit of despair. He has heard this poor man's cry and saved him out of all of his troubles. He continually is contrasting what is our position before God. And so as, as, as part of looking at what, um, for myself, how I want to approach this new year, as we think of new beginnings, as we think of new re resolutions in our lives, one of the things that, that I, for my own self, would, would like to uh, be an example of is, is somebody who's more humble. Um, and you, never, you never find that out more than you know, if you have a, a spouse and you realize how selfish you are sometimes. And I've, I've said that many times that you know, when I got married, you realize these things as, as, well, why is there a pile of dirty dishes or... Why is the laundry not done? Or why is this? Why is this? Why? And instead of the real answer is, well, get up and do it yourself, and and humble yourself and, and be a blessing to your wife, instead of sitting around or complaining about it or, or, or just letting them continually pile up until you're like, oh, let's just throw them all out and we'll get all new ones. Um, not that that's ever happened. Um, but you re you realize how, how selfish you are. In those situations, um, even with now two kids, one kid was definitely different. Two kids is immensely more difficult. As um, you know, we, we love our daughter Camille, and and she's great, but she she just doesn't understand the how fragile babies are, and he wants to continue to jump on daddy or mommy while we're holding her, or you know, hug her a little too tight, and she's very precious with her. Um, but at, at the same time, it becomes very difficult sometimes, and you get annoyed, and you get, why me, sometimes? Uh, you get overwhelmed, um, and it's when we need to turn to the Lord during those times. And so, you know, in my own life, I recognize these things. I need to turn some more things over to God. He is whittling these things out of my life and showing them through my kids, through my wife, through those of us in the church as we interact, as we grow together, as we learn together. We need to get rid of some stuff. We need to be more humble before God. We need to be more humble before each other. We need to be more humble with our families. Um, sometimes that's the most difficult thing for some of us as there's tension with specific specific family members where we just might not get along or there might just be hard things. And sometimes both of you are waiting for one of you to break when in reality God's telling you, just go to them and talk to them. Humble yourself. Don't be proud. Don't be puffed up. We need to recognize that, that God wants us uh, to be the ones that are seeking after peace, as the psalmist is going to get to. And so he says, humble yourselves. And as, we, as those other few verses that are there, he says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. It's As you read those verses, some of the other things that might come to your mind from verse uh, 5, that their face is radiant. Think of Moses as he's gone up on the mountain to, to get the Ten Commandments. He requests of God. Um, at one point he says, I just want to see you. I want to see your face. Well, you, you wouldn't survive, is what he basically tells him. You're not going to survive. But what he does do, he says, I will hide you in the cleft of this rock, and I will pass by, and you'll just get a glimpse of the tail end of my glory. And Moses is able to do this um, by the provision of God, and he's walking down the mountain. What, what The people are in fear because of what? It says his face glowed. It glowed because of the glory of God. And David says those who look to him, those who look to God, those who look for him, he says their face are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. 
Meaning that when you go to God, that it, it, it's not that we're going to be turned away and he's going to say no. And, and obviously, does he do that? Yes, because we're not asking for the right things or our hearts aren't in the right places. And that's his protection. That's his, 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 the beautifulness of who God is and that he desires the best for us. And we just don't know what that is. Um, I, I believe it was C.S. Lewis who had said that we are far too easily pleased as people. That we rather the, 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 the crumbs on the ground rather than the feast that is on the table that God has presented before us. But we're too, too scared sometimes or too proud or too boastful to, to get up and, and, and come before God humble and say, Lord, help me. Some of the other things that, that come to mind as he talks about those who fear him, he delivers them. If you think about the life of Daniel, Daniel was a man that was taken um, by King Nebuchadnezzar and many others. Um, he was also a servant later on to another king. And there's this decree that goes out that you must worship an idol of the king. All right. And all of the, the wise men that were surrounded by this king tells them, you know, hey, your, your servant Daniel, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't bow down before your image and worship you. And the king loved Daniel. He was great because Daniel was an honorable man. He was a man who feared God and he devoted his life to God. And that is one thing he said, no, I'm not going to do. And so he was thrown in the lion's den, and this perplexed the king, but he had to do it because it was law. And what do we know about the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel feared the Lord, and the Lord delivered him so that he shut the mouths of the lions so that the next day when they looked in, he was perfectly fine. It was like sitting on a couch with your cat rolled up next to you, just petting it as it's purring away, and he's just, hey, how's it going? We're doing well down here. You know, they're, they're tame as can be. Um, but the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And what I love about this psalm is that David just doesn't stop there. He goes on to, to give us an invitation, which is the, the title of the sermon where it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What David is inviting all of us to do and all of his readers to do in this is that by their own experience, is, is what he's essentially saying, taste it. Test it out. Much like Gideon tested the Lord with the, the fleece that he put out, he said, well, make all the ground wet and the fleece dry. Make the fleece wet and all the ground dry. Well, how does that? Well, it's because of the miraculous power of the Lord that those things can happen. It's essentially the same. He tested God, and God showed up. Much like Elijah on the Mount Carmel with calling down fire from heaven. He feared the Lord. He knew who God was and God came through. David's saying the same thing. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And he goes on. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. One of the hardest things for someone who is proud or to um, puffed up of themselves is to Go and seek out help from somebody else. When you're struggling, when you're when you're down, when you need assistance, sometimes we we, we find it difficult. I know I found it difficult to to ask for people. Hey, you know we're really struggling, or, or this is going on, or you know sometimes it's just as simple as saying, you know, we need a few hours to ourselves. Can you take the kids? Um, whatever it may be, um, but sometimes we we're scared to to go and seek refuge in. Others whom we even trust and, and hold as dear and close friends sometimes in our life. And who better than the Lord to, to seek refuge in? But David is telling us, blessed is he who does this. Blessed is he who can come before God, who knows his situation, knows that he can't do it himself, and that he needs the Lord in his life, who takes refuge in him. He goes on, he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What we see here is in the fear of the Lord, he says, those who fear him have
have no lack. You're, you're not for once. And he contrasts that again, the language of the humble and the proud. He says the young lions. If you think about a young lion, it's very agile. It's very adept. It's very good at doing what it was created to do, which it springs out of the shadows and attacks its prey in swiftness and is able to sustain itself. So the young lion can go out, can provide for himself, can get what is needed from him. And David is saying, even the young lion, all right, even even the 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 in our day and age we can say, you know, even the wealthiest of the wealthiest sometimes may suffer want and hunger. Whatever happens, maybe they lose it all, maybe stuff is tied up, maybe accounts are frozen because they've done something, whatever the case may be. Even if we think the most untouchable person in our world can suffer want and hunger. That's essentially what David is saying. He's saying it, it can affect anyone. But he's saying those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, sometimes in our lives and, and in other areas of Scripture, we read verses like this, we see verses like this, and we think back to the times where we think of specific situations or other people that we know or people in another country who are suffering. And we think, how is that possible? People seek after the Lord, yet we see all of these other things happening to them. And what the Scripture doesn't promise is that if we seek after the Lord, that everything is going to be good, that everything is going to go great, that everything is going to go our way. What it does promise is that God will be with us throughout the entire thing, and he will provide what we need when we need it. But the problem is, we think we know better than God. And we don't. And that's another issue or area where we say we need to be humble. Lord, I don't know why I'm going through this. Lord, I don't know what you are doing. Even reading, you know, Facebook and some of my friends' comments as they look back at 2016 and everything that, that went on, uh, one of my friends ha had wrote that, um, almost that exact phrase in terms of looking back and thinking, you know, I've had a rough year. I've, I've, I've had things happen in my family. I've had things happen to people around me. It was just a rough year. And yet, even with everything that has gone on, I can still say, God, I trust in you. You are taking care of me. I see your hand through it. And it may not be right this very moment. It may not be five or ten years down the road. But you can always bank on, on the scriptures. As we read the, the catechism this morning, we looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's God's word. It's profitable for these things. For teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. All of these things. As we look to God's word and we read it and we, we, we understand it, we ask for the Spirit's help in understanding it, we realize, Lord, I don't know what's best for me, but you do. Help me to see what that is. Help me to see what the good things in, in my life that I need that I might not recognize. And it's another area of coming before God and being humble. And the psalmist here is, David is talking about fear, those that fear have no lack, right? Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And so he's going to qualify that. He's going to help us understand that, help us unpack that. What does that mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? He says, come, O children, and listen to me. He's like this father figure in instructing and giving wisdom. This is the wisdom section of this psalm. He says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. It's one of those things people ask that you don't really want the answer to because obviously the answer is, yeah, obviously we want to see good days. Obviously we, we like life, all right, and loves many days that we may see good. He says, here's what you do. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Essentially what he's saying is very simple. Sometimes we find it very hard to do in our lives. Uh, but it, it sounds so simple. The fear of the Lord. 
I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What do all of those things, or I should say, who possesses all of those things? Who ultimately has been our example in all of that? Christ. As we just celebrated his birth and, and, and his coming and taking on flesh, those things are exactly what Christ has done. Even though as we, as we were going through Mark and looking at the, the book of Mark, we've seen he had every recourse to do some of those things. As people were falsely accusing him before uh, the priests, before the Sanhedrin, and telling lies and speaking deceits of him, what could he have done? He could have spoken out for himself. But he remained silent. I mean, he there was no evil on his lips about those who were speaking evil about him. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. He's done that his entire life. He is our ultimate example. And David here is telling us these simple things that we need to do in our lives. And it's not out of simple obedience, but it's it's out of a heart change. And that's what we've, we've always talked about at, at City Light. It's not about a list of things that we must do. All right, you go home, you write the, okay, this is what David said. I need to do this, this, and this, and, and write them out. And, okay, so every day I need to do this. But it's essentially out of a heart change that God takes these difficult things in our lives and he begins to pour into us his heart, the heart of Jesus, the heart of our Lord and Savior, and enables us to then live these things out in our lives. Spurgeon, in, in one of his sermons, that he gave was trying to to help us understand what the fear of God is. All right, and, and so I want you to, to listen to this. It's not too lengthy. But Spurgeon said this of the fear of the Lord. And it's a sermon, Godly Fear and Its Goodly Consequence. He said, What is this fear of the Lord? Essentially he's saying, why didn't God pick a different word? He could have picked any word. Why didn't he just say faith instead of fear? Fear is, is, is very emotional in terms of being scared or frightened or you know fearful of what he's going to do. But this is, this is how Spurgeon expresses it. He says, the expression is used in Scripture for all true godliness, much as, as David is saying in our psalm this morning, of all true godliness. It is constantly the short way of expressing real faith, Hope, love, holiness of living, and every grace which makes up true godliness. That's how he sums up what the fear of God is. All right? It's of all true godliness. But he, he unpacks it a little bit for his audience, and I hope it helps us this morning try to understand this. So he gives us picture. He says, The kind of fear commended in the text is not such as appalls the senses and scares the thoughts. So it's not a cringe. It's not backing away. It's not quivering in the corner and hiding. That's not what it's about. It is, it is a fear that has not anything like being afraid mixed with it. It is quite another kind of fear. It is what we commonly call filial Fear of God. Filial is much like familiar, family, filial. Fear of God, like the child's fear of his father. Just think for a minute, what is a child's fear of his father? I do not mean a naughty child, a child that is obstinate, but a young man who loves his father, who is his father's friend his father's most familiar acquaintance. Thank God some of us have children whom we can look upon as near and dear friends, as well as dutiful sons and daughters, to whom we can speak with much confidence and love. What is the fear that a well-ordered, well-disciplined, beloved child have of his own father? So he gives us that, that, that picture of, of a father and his child whether it's a son, whether it's a daughter. Um, and thinking about what Spurgeon is saying about the fear of God, what is it like? 
Um, it brings back to, to my memory things that happened in my life. I was very close to my father. I loved my father. I still love my father to this day. We're still very close. He is a, 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 you know, a, a confidant. I love him to death. We didn't always get along. Uh, we work in the same trade business and construction. And when I was growing up, we always bumped heads. And now we get along perfectly. Um, but I have this one specific instance in, in my mind of growing up. And I love my father, but I was disciplined as a child. I, I got into trouble. Go figure. Um, I would never get into trouble with people. I'm, I'm, no. I liked, I, I liked pushing the boundaries, um, and I see that in my daughter. Um, but I remember the one, I had gotten in trouble for something. I don't remember what I got in trouble for. I don't know what it was. All I know is that when I got in trouble, my mom would, would you know, wait till your father gets home, and he was the one that would dole out the punishment. And I, and I got spanked when I, when I did things that uh, I shouldn't have done. And so I had gotten spanked on this one occasion. And for some, I don't remember what it was, but I was really mad. I was really angry with my father. And I did something, something that no father or parent ever wants their child to do. I cursed at my dad. I was maybe 12, 13 at this time. Um, growing up, you, you hear the words, you don't quite know what they mean. You just know that people say that they're bad. And so I didn't actually say the word. I just said the initials. And yeah, not a proud moment. Um, the look of disappointment on my father's face was worse than any punishment he could have ever doled out. The utter... I don't, I don't even know how to express it. Just the, the the look on his face of, did my son actually just say that to me? Of profound loss of, how is that even possible? And, and, and the disappointment that he felt at that moment of fearing, of fearing my father. Now, obviously, I was, I was being um, bad in, in that instance, but the fear wasn't of, of retribution on him. The fear was, in, in my heart, was... I. I just hurt my dad, like really bad. And it wasn't a fear of consequence. It wasn't a fear of being punished. It wasn't a fear of quivering or afraid. But it was a fear of what have I just done? And it's much the same way in thinking about that as we interact with God our Father. We... The scripture says there, there is, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. He loves us perfectly. There is no fear. He's not a God who is, is on his throne, who is looking down on us and raining judgment and bashing us over the head and just continually pummeling us. But he's a loving God. He's a compassionate God. And he's immensely patient with us. But it's much the same way sometimes where he, we do things that dishonor him or hurt him. And the look on his face, it's not fear of retribution that God's going to punish us. It's just, what have I done? And that's the, the fear that, that David is talking about, of not wanting to do that to our Heavenly Father. Not wanting to disappoint him, not wanting to let him down. Wanting him to be proud of us. Wanting him to be overjoyed with us. And he is. But understand, we grieve the heart of God by our actions. So that is why David is giving us these instructions and in that our actions are important. Not for salvation, not to, to make sure that we're a Christian, but to please our father. To please our dad. So he says, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So this is an, another area of this psalm where I'm, I look at it and I read it and I'm thinking as I go into this next year, you know, anything that ha you know, everything's in the past. I, I can't worry about what has happened. Obviously, we move on. We learn from things that happen. We don't entirely forget it. But going forward into this new year, thinking about these things, keep your tongue from evil. 
remembering that, as James said, the, the, the tongue, all right, it's so tiny, but it does a ton of damage. A ton of damage. Much like my, my words to my father in that instant did a ton of damage to him. The same way as we speak to our spouses, as we speak to our parents, as we speak to our children, as we speak to our friends, our words have consequences. And so he says, keep your tongue from evil. To remember, think before we actually speak these words out, especially if somebody angers us, we need to, to take a second, not just react. But, but honestly, for me, I need to be on my knees and asking God, God, I need help with this. I need you to, to help me to do these things in my life, to keep my lips from speaking deceit, to turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Sometimes that's the last part's the hardest thing, to seek peace. As we think about things in our lives, are there areas that we need to seek peace with another person? Whoever it may be. For some of us, that may be seeking peace with God himself. Some of us may have never bowed our knee to him to call him Lord and Savior, to call upon him to save us. We first need to seek peace with God before we can truly seek peace with others. Because it's the change in heart in us that he works that enables us to do these things. David goes on in, in verse 15. He says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ear is towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them, out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Essentially, what he is giving us here is he gives us um, human anatomy depictions of, of God that enables us to understand this, but his focus is on what, what God himself does, what the Lord does. And so he says the faith the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, meaning that he is, is ever vigilant and watchful. It's not something that, that goes beyond his purview. They will be dealt with. Is against those who do evil. But it says the eyes are towards the righteous. So God is looking at the righteous, all right, and his ears towards their cry. So he's, He's ever seeing those and hearing those. But he says the rest of him is, is bent against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them. He is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Essentially what he's, what he's saying is those that have bent their knee to me is what he's saying. Those that who call me Lord and Savior. Those who have put off the former things and put on the new things, much of what Paul says uh, to the Corinthians. He goes on, he says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So not to get them all worked up to think, okay, God, he's just told them all these things that, that God does. He gave personal experience, how God had rescued me. This poor man cried out, God heard me. The Lord encamps around those, delivers them. He says his eyes or towards the righteous, his ear hears their cry. But he does not want us to be mistaken to think that every time something happens, that God is against us, or every time we come before him, our life is going to be good all the time. He, he qualifies it with this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. David, you just got done saying all these things, and now you're telling me that many are the afflictions of the righteous? Yes, because what, we live in a fallen world. Obviously, and things are going to happen, and things will happen. But he qualifies it by saying, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. If you were to um, go and, and look into Hebrews, the author of Hebrews gives a good depiction of this. 
in what David is saying, that many are the afflictions of the righteous. And even if you just look at some of the, the people that were mentioned, whether it was Daniel, David himself, fleeing from Saul, these are people that are seen as righteous men that have afflictions on them. But Hebrews in, in chapter 11 gives us this to say, um, talking about all of the, the faithful men and what they had gone through. Um, he goes on to say, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became muddy in war, put foreign armies to flight. All of the amazing things that God did through these mighty men that he has raised up, lifted up, he says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some, and then he goes on to this though, he says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Talking about our resurrection in Christ, that we have life everlasting because of him. He says, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Hebrew gives us an apt description of what David is saying. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Yes, God comes through in powerful and mighty ways in the lives of people. And we see that through the scriptures. But he's also allowed people to go through terrible and disastrous things for his sake. Peter, in, in reminding um, his hearers, tells them the same thing. All right? To not, and, and, and Pastor has, has mentioned this before, but, but don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when things come your way, when you suffer. That's the life of a Christian. And, and, and Pastor has mentioned many times, it's not that we're, we love it, that, hey, yes, we're going to be afflicted and we're happy about it. We're going to go through these things and we're just going to be smiling and more, God, more, give me more. But it's that through these things, the light of the gospel of, of the truth of Jesus Christ and how he has changed us is shown in, in how we live before men that even when things happen to us, we weather the storms because God is there with us. And that is what he promises. He says, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He says in verse 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Much like the depiction of Christ, not one of his bones was broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Essentially, he's saying, in due time, what you reap, you are sorry, what you sow, you will reap in due time. Um, there, even looking at that and, and, and looking at another psalm I, I was looking at um, maybe speaking on today, it's much of that and... and Asaph is looking around at the world around him, and, he, and he's essentially depressed. I've been faithful to God. Why have I been faithful to God? Because all I see is these unrighteous people, and they're prosperous. They're doing great. They're doing wonderful. But he comes to the end of it, and he says, their end, this is all they have. Our home is in heaven. It's with Christ, and, and that these things that we suffer now are just temporary afflictions that will pass, but we get to live in eternity with Christ, and we get to experience the blessings forever, forever lasting. So he's saying the affliction will eventually slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants, redeems much like Christ redeemed us. He bought us back, purchased us, paid the price. He says, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. 
none of us who seek after God will have any fear of judgment day. Because our trust is not in what we have done, but our trust is in what God has accomplished for us. So as we think and and dwell on these things this morning, as we go about our, our day, the rest of today, I pray that these things would be on the forefront of our minds, that God is is calling us, each and every one of us, to to be more humble in our lives, to fear him, as I said, not not fear of of condemnation, but fear of, of wanting to please him, of being a good son, a good daughter, to to seek peace, to pursue it, to be the the ones that instigate it, not the ones that are waiting for someone else. But Christ calls us to pursue others just as he has pursued us. And to not be discouraged as we go about our lives and we see other people. But at the same time, not to be encouraged by the fact that those that may seem prosperous now will get their due and not to be grateful for that, but to ask God that when we do encounter those things, God, give me a heart for them to say, I want to be used to seek peace with them that they may seek peace with you, with God. Because that is ultimately what is needed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we thank you for truly awesome and wonderful that you are. As we read the words of, of David and understand his situation, and he's penning these things as he's on the run, God, you have rescued him. You have saved him. And he reminds his hearers of what it is to follow after you, of what it is to call you Lord and Savior, to know that there is no one else like you, that we have perfect peace because of of your sacrifice, because of your perfect obedience to the Father while you lived on this earth, that everything that you suffered, everything that you went through, was so that we could be redeemed back, bought back, purchased back to know you, to have the relationship that existed prior to the fall. As you walked with Adam and Eve, you walk with us. You guide us, you help us along the way. Lord, teach us to be humble. Teach us to seek refuge in you. Teach us to fear you in all that we do. Teach us to seek peace in our lives. Lord, help us to continue to share the light of the good news of Christ. Amen. The band would come forward.